0: That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No by law plus website for details.
1: The Basher Hour is a show dedicated to helping veterans get their claims situated. The Basher Hour is brought to you by the website www.hannit.com. Now, here's your host, Jay Bashir. Welcome, folks, to another edition of the Bash Hour. This is January the 15th, a cold January the 15th, and we've got a treat for you today. We've got the utmost guru on veterans' disability issues and medical, medical, independent medical opinions from Dr. Bash. And Dr. Bash is going to join our show today and uh, explain to us the. uh, importance of getting a good IMO or IME, and uh, what a veteran needs to succeed. We also have uh, uh, John Dorley, he's a vet rep out of Minnesota. He's thought out enough to help us. And uh, we got Gerald Cook on line too, so uh, I'll get started off with Dr. Bash. How you doing, Dr. Bash?
2: Good, I'm good. Uh, If you have questions for me, send them along.
1: limbo on his claim, and is wanting to uh find to get some information or get something going in a positive direction uh he needs to get an i m o an i m e and we can't stress the importance of that. Can you explain why the veterans why they need that information and why they need an i m o
2: yeah the um you know the um medicine's pretty complicated, and a lot of times what I find is veterans come in and they'll have a disease or some process that they think is maybe, for example, in their chest when really it's in their heart. So that's a good reason for an IME or IMO because the doctor can look at the record and look at the testing and maybe order some new testing and find out exactly what organ system or what disease process they have. So that's like for starters because if the veteran has the wrong disease process and is asking for benefits and the VA can just easily say, no, this this is the wrong disease process. The other thing the doctor is usually pretty good at is looking at, you know, secondary complications or related issues. So, you know, the obvious example I give is the patient has diabetes, and then, then secondary problems will have like peripheral neuropathy, will have kidney disease, will have heart disease, or brain disease, or visual changes, or joint problems. And so that's something else that a doctor can look at and really help with help with the uh, with the medical analysis. Then, like the third thing that they can do is a the doctor can referee other medical opinions. Like when I do my IMEs I'll say, you know, Doctor Smith said this and I agree with him and Dr. Jones said that and I disagree with him and a PA said this and I disagree with them and a nurse practitioner said that and they were not well trained and they missed a bunch of things and or maybe I might agree with the PA or the nurse practitioner depending on what they what they do. So that's kind of the third thing the doctor can do is help them, help them um get the right Get you know get the right refereeing of the medical opinions, which is a big benefit to the to the raiders because raiders aren't physicians and so they don't really know when one doctor is saying something that might be in a gray zone or another doctor is saying something that's mainstream, and so I can go through and help help with that process. And then kind of the fourth thing I do is you know as a doctor I'm always looking at their medical record and trying to make sure that they're getting the right kind of treatment and the right kind of care because a lot of times veterans go to the hospital and they're being t- taken care of by maybe people that aren't as skilled um, so I can help with that kind of a process I just had a patient this last week who was in the Reno Nevada area but was being treated in a little town called Susanville and he, he saw a patient or saw a doctor on the first visit and they treated him for what they thought was an infection and with antibiotics and then his problem got worse and worse and then he wasn't again seen by a doctor only by nurses for another six months and his mass was really cancer, and he's probably you know I'm not going to make it now, he might have been able to make it if a doctor so saw him along the way so that's something else I do as a physician i always try and look and see if there's any major medical urgent problems that aren't being treated correctly or that need different types of care so there's a lot of i think there's a lot of value in I'me from the from the radiant side and also from the treatment side well, now,
3: uh, you, you are traveling quite a bit now dr bash uh. Uh, do you have like a schedule that you're going across the country, or is it just as needed?
2: Yeah, for it's as that needed, you know, can
3: get it worked
2: in. Yeah, it's as needed. The um, you know, I've been doing these IMEs and IMOs for for a lot of years, and you know, over the years, the the animal is changing colors. So I used to do you know full fledged medical evaluation and order testing and do the testing, but now it's getting kind of where you know if the, if the VA had a nurse practitioner see their their patient for an IME or a DBQ then if i write a written opinion sometimes the VA says that you know i didn't see the patient so they try and discount my opinion even though i have you know light years more training and experience than the nurse practitioner so if you know if the patient's been seen by somebody else then i'm starting to try and see them more frequently than i did before and so my travel schedule you know i have, i go to california occasionally because my kids are in college out there so like the other day, I flew across and I dropped into Houston on the way over and saw a couple of patients at Houston at the airport, did an exam, and then got back on back to security and got on a plane and went back over. So, um, you know, I'm starting to do that. You know, I'm in a wheelchair, almost 60 years old, so I don't know how long I can do it, but we'll see how it goes. But um, a lot of times patients will fly to me, too, like they'll fly into D.C. airport or from someplace they'll fly in to see me or they'll drive. Like when I went to Houston, a guy from Shreveport drove up to see me there and that was good. So we try to work together as a team, you know, make it feasible because it's unfortunate a veteran might lose his benefits or his ratings because he can't see me, you know, and so it's kind of extraordinary to have to do this, but that's kind of what the the situation is now with the VA, I think.
3: Well, it is. Uh, We all know the importance of an IME, but uh, sometimes uh, circumstances are such that uh, uh The veteran has to work with an i m o which uh, makes it a little bit more difficult
2: so my my philosophy now you know it changes monthly, but what I'll do is um it depends on the status to see veteran kind of has an early claim and hasn't had much in the way of medical opinions in the file that I might write an i m o you know the the opinion based on the record and then Oftentimes, what that'll do is that'll generate might generate a DBQ, you know, disability benefits questionnaire by the VA, and then most uh, use those DBQs are incorrect. I haven't yet to see one that's 100 percent accurate, and the reason is is that the DBQs are so long. You know, like I had a patient the other day that, that had 38 DBQs, and I said, Do "You want me to do 38 DBQs? That's you know, each DBQ might be an hour or more, and that's might be two weeks worth of work, you know, doing the yeah. DBQs." I said, we might we might want to break these into groups or whatever. But anyway, so the VA doctors have the same problem. They're just practitioners. They have these DBQs and they t- they're egregious on the amount of time they take to do and they're, they're not organized <clears throat> They're not organized around the medical record. They're not organized around the no- normal soap note the doctor does and not organized uh-huh. around the regular history and physical the doctor's been doing for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. So they're, they're asking the doctor to do something that's totally different or, and unusual to their normal practice. So when the doctor gets in the middle of these DVQs that are 20 pages long, they get kind of lost in the middle. Like they'll talk about how the patient, for example, might not have um, might not have an intervertebral disc syndrome, but then when they get to the end of the report, they'll see that they have an MRI finding that says they do have syndrome. So they'll say yes, there's imaging that says they have a disc syndrome. Where in the first part of the report they said there wasn't a disc syndrome, so there's inconsistencies. And so, so what I usually do is try and do my I'me, let the VA do like a DVQ. And then I'll go back and try and correct the DBQ with my own DBQ or another another IMO something like that to to get the record so that it's accurate and then the rating usually will follow in a way that that makes sense. Has that been your experience, uh, John Dorley's on here? I just want to see what his experience was based on those comments.
0: Yeah, uh, John Dorley from Minnesota here. I you know, working as a uh, uh, senior level PSO for the past 20 years and now being a partner attorney. Um, working with you, Dr. Bash, for about three years. What I found interesting with your IMOs is that uh, you incorporate what a DBQ would say into your IMOs because you add your own uh, medical opinions to it as well. So really with, with an IMOs, but just what you do, Dr. Bash, you're incorporating a lot of the information into that IMO that the VA is looking for. Now, certainly from my experience, you're willing to fill out DBQs, but you I, I would uh hesitate to tell any regiment the only thing they need is D Uh they to me the majority of them just aren't specific enough. They don't they don't take on the guts of the uh, uh of the claims and uh, and what I like about your IMOs is, is that you're you, you look beyond the trees. You you look at uh, underlying factors, you look at secondary factors residual factors, you understand the principle of reasonable doubt with likely of not uh, it, it's so, and you and I have worked on claims like that between the two of us. We respect those IMOs pretty well, I like to think. So, uh, yeah, I, you know, there's a lot to be said about those IMOs. Uh, when it comes to uh, disability compensation claims, unfortunately, as, as a veterans rep, I'm not a doctor and, and I can't make those nexus opinions on the psychly is not basis or a or a direct or presumptive basis off So uh, what I'm able to do as do metric rep in a POA is to get in contact with Dr. Bash and, and explain to him exactly what we're looking at. And because Dr. Bash has got some experience as a POA, uh, you know, there's no uh, learning curve with him. He hits the ground running. So I appreciate that.
2: Well, you hit on something that's kind of important, Dr. Bash. Was that idea about making you know making assessments so oftentimes what will happen is the the VA might say well there was no diagnosis of of spine injury in service you know no diagnosis of uh once again back to disc syndrome and I can look at the record and I can make a diagnosis I can say it's my opinion that he and I can diagnose disc syndrome in service based on the record or I can diagnose disc syndrome now and uh, most doctors won't do that I also can order tests which most doctors won't do and then uh, John mentioned something about trying to integrate things. So, like, for my IMO, I might take the patient's lay statements, which is a huge component of, of the case that a lot of VA doctors don't look at or pay attention to, and the veterans know that's important because it's their story. Then I'll take, like, the imaging. You might order a new MRI scan or look at the old testing imaging or lab results. So I put those in the IMO. And then I'll put in, you know, literature. I'll find a literature source that documents what I'm saying. Then I'll have my medical opinion about diagnosis and uh about the parameters that are needed for rating, like John was saying that are sometimes contained in the D V Q, but I'll provide the pertinent data that has to be part of that. And then and then like the fifth thing I'll do is I'll referee, like I said before, I'll referee other medical opinions that are in there so that you know that so that the salient, consistent, mainstream ideas are um are highlighted. Because often, you know, medicine's not straightforward so sometimes one person will observe Component A and other people will observe components B and C. and Component A might be incorrect with B and C or correct because they're kind of consistent with each other. So that's the kind of stuff you have to do from an experienced physician standpoint.
1: Dr. Bash, what uh, <clears throat> requirements are uh, gathered or educational requirements are required for a person to actually become a doctor and then to specialize out into a field like uh, neuroradiology like you have?
2: Uh, yeah, so that's pretty big. You know, college education, then you have four years of medical school, and then uh, radiology is a four-year residency. So I did a four-year residency, and then, then neuroradiology I did. Um, I did three years fellowship there. So, you know, it's eleven years total. And uh, I got injured in medical school as a fourth-year student, so I actually did, I did seven years after my injury training. After, you know, so that's what that's that's kind of a, a little bit of an X factor because. You know, John Doro was talking about my perspective, but you know, I'm a disabled veteran, and I, and I trained through the medical system as a disabled person. So, you know, I really look at the patient like myself because I'm a you know, user. You know, I'm not as like a healthy person walking around. So, you know, i kind of philosophically, you know, I can't not think about the patient from a just you know from a disabled person standpoint. And I had my own VA claim that went through. So, I, you know, I have Experience, you know, practical experience as a user, and then also have professional training as a you know, doctor. So on. it's kind of a n- nice mixture. I think helps helps me with patient care. I a lot
1: of education.
2: Yeah.
1: Well, eleven years is a long time to go to school for anybody, but uh, we're glad you did.
2: <laughs> yeah, 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 appreciate it. I like I like I like helping. I like helping patients. Patients.
1: Okay. Uh, <clears throat> folks, what he really just explained there is uh, getting an IMO, or well, basically, I'd, I'd recommend an IME, which is independent medical examination, if you can afford to, you know, to help get close to Dr. Bash where he can't examine you. He may be able to get your claim on the right track, I and mean, in some instances, he might just save your life because, uh, you know, that's. It's, anytime you're dealing with the VA, you're dealing with mass-produced medicine because it's just like uh, you know, it's kind of like triage. You know, it's, they've got so many number of, a number of patients they got to see in a day, and there are a lot of so much time for patients. So it's kind of a oh, the personable stuff's out the window, you know. So and it's always good if you're fighting with a VA claim to you know get an opinion, a new opinion, or an outside opinion is always better with a set of fresh eyes looking at your claim. Always.
3: Well, the VA VA seems to be so generic, uh, and uh, they they try to get one thing to do, uh, uh, accommodate everyone, and it don't work uh, in medicine like that, Uh, so uh, that generates a a major problem, and, and uh, veterans got to get around that because he don't want to be thrown in one category or another. Uh he wants the the uh, diagnosis diagnosis to be for him. And that's uh, a good or uh, or, or uh, go ahead.
2: Well, that's a good point. I was just going to bring an example up of that point before you go on. Is the uh, I had a patient last week, he had 4,000 pages of medical records. And so what happens is you talk about generic and so the VA early on labeled him as a patient that was not, you know, was able to work, and so there was a series of like four or five decisions, and a couple of those decisions were done like in one or two, uh, one week, and with four thousand pages. So what happened is they labeled him initially as a patient who could work due to his back, and then they just perpetually just kept labeling him that same way, even though he had a lot more medical records in between that they didn't, they didn't take the time to read about. So that's what your point was about the generic. Aspect of things.
3: Yes, uh, I've, I've seen that time and time again. and I've had it that shows up quite a bit, uh, and uh, I don't yeah, think they it's a the,
1: good fact that That's a blue sheet problem. They get all the different re- records stuff. They say they looked at it in the first place and they put it in the file and they slap a blue page on top of it. And it seems like a taking that to Congress getting to let that blue page back up because they won't look at it. <laughs>
3: Uh, yeah, I think they call it top cheating and uh that's not good. Uh it's it put a hurting on all the, the veterans at top cheating, uh in yep. the claims process because uh if, if a raider's just gonna look at the top cheat or two then then they don't get to grasp of the, of the whole whole uh claim and, and and that's how these veterans are coming up uh uh, low balled, I believe, uh, because the whole story's not in front of the reader.
2: It's a lot okay. faster to look at one page than it is four thousand pages. Yeah. Right. Right. yeah absolutely.
3: That's exactly
0: right. <laughs> look and,
1: at one or shred that's shred thirty nine hundred
0: and ninety nine. <laughs> <yeah. laughs> and and this is it's interesting guys because I I like getting a hold of claims like that because Imagine the CUE involved there. Uh, imagine the type of retroactive award that, that a veteran who's been living check to check for the past 40 years all of a sudden gets a, a $300,000 retro tax-free. I mean, they're out there. I mean, it's scary to think about how many CUEs, clear and unmistakable errors are out there. And You top sheet some of those records and you go back later uh, and, and you verify that the VA had uh, specific types of medical records in their possession at the time, when a decision was made and they failed to review that, that's a CUE, uh, and they're sitting out there and they're going to go unadjudicated. Uh, my hope is to get as many as we can.
2: Hey, Doctor again. yes, you're right. You read my mind. This is a CUE, and let me tell you, let me tell you a story about that. So, this case, they um, in 1999, they sent this patient for uh, for evaluation of his spine for two CMP exams. The first one was done incompletely of course cuz it's a huge record and then the second one they did you know a month apart the doctor described the fact that the patient had um numbness in his right leg and he when he stood up he couldn't bend he couldn't he couldn't straighten out his right knee or his right hip both of them were flexed so when i went back to the record i looked back in like 15 years earlier there was a medical report from a non va doctor <laughs> a non va doctor and and he said almost exactly the same thing. He said the patient got off the table and his leg remained flexed. It's just unbelievable that two doctors wrote wrote almost exactly the same word for word, fifteen years apart, in different one was private, one was you know, it was just it was just it's just a huge thing that screams out that the VA never looked beyond the first page, you know. Right.
1: That's sad. That's so sad.
2: It's yeah, it'd be less sad when I get done right in one. up. <laughs> well,
1: that'll be a euphoric situation. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> folks, uh, Dr. Bash is also, even though he's in a wheelchair, this guy will, and he has. I've got living proof of it that he will come and see you, <clears throat> and he will go to a hearing and, and help present your case at a hearing. Uh, him and John Dorley both do that for folks, so... You know, there's not too many uh, docs out there that'll do that. So, what's some of your experiences on that, Doctor Bash? Traveling to well, hearings and
2: yeah, you know, the hearings are um, hearings are interesting. I um, <clears throat> I've done about fifty hearings at the BVA and you know, I don't know, ten or twenty at the regional offices. But um, so I've kind of got a little feel for how the you know how the DROs work and how the a good feel for how the judges work and a lot of the judges. You know, a lot of the judges in Washington D.C. at the BVA know me personally now because I've been in hearings, and so that also helps my credibility. So um, the hearings, you know, they're they're always really nice to the veteran. They always are, you know. Some judges are more prepared than others as far as what the case case is. I mean, John Droe and I did one recently, and the and the, the DRO probably didn't know every detail of the case, but he knew exactly what the what the pivotal question was. You know, so at the end of the hearing, he asked me, you know, what what I thought about this issue, and that was the hinge point of the whole the whole case. So, you I know, mean, those those judges and the DRO guys have been doing this for a long time. So they they like myself and John Dorley, When you look at a file, you can get to it, get to the heart of the matter pretty quickly when you when you see the the track record of what's happening. So, you um, know, in, in my experience the hearings are really valuable. Like I had one hearing where I was in Baltimore, and they were going to sever a, they were going to sever a veteran for for kidney disease, 100%. And the DRO came down and said, you're the doctor, right? And I said, yeah. And He said, you saw this patient? I said, yeah. And He said, you wrote this letter before the hearing? And I said, yeah. So he went back upstairs and pulled out a piece of paper and didn't even turn on the tape recorder and just decided it right in the spot. So, um, you know, the hearings is going to be a very valuable um, way for the veteran to get his word out and get, you know, get a voice directly with the decider. Yeah, Dr.
0: Thanks. Bash, I would agree. Um, I think Talk getting any specifics the last hearing we had. I think we nailed it. We'll, well, That remains to be seen yet, I suppose. But I think, in, in general, DROs will... Uh, I don't think the majority of DROs want to drag claims out any longer than they have to. I think they're obligated to try to clear legitimate claims off the book. And, and I've always found hearings to be very uh, useful, especially formal, personal hearings, um, especially given the fact that you get a face-to-face uh, interview with the actual uh, DRO, and you can clarify things back and forth rather than statements and support of claim and things of that sort. So, yeah, I would clearly advocate that.
1: Hey, on your last hearing, you did did you get did you did you get a copy of the uh, transcript?
2: Not yet, but I, I found we found out that the transcripts are going. I think you said San Diego, and they're processing them much faster. Used to be it took a few months for them. Now they're getting them back in weeks, or you know time period, so that's good. One more sure thing about the it. hearings, I've, um, I've gone to hearings, you know, um, like with the BVA, I've, I've actually done a little bit of the exam in front of the judge. Like I had one guy years ago that had a really, really bad knee, and I had him up on the table and moved his leg, and you could hear him pop across the room. <laughs> the judge goes, okay, I get the message, you know. Or I've gone to hearings and um, showed the x-rays and done a little didactic on what the x-ray shows and things like that. So, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of aspects to the hearings that I can that I can bring to, you know, to bear and to present the evidence, you know, that's fair for the veteran, you know, however, however it lays out.
1: That's a good point, though. I mean, it's, you know, veterans have to, you know, they can understand that, uh you know, they need help in this situation, because, you know, a lot of them are, you know, a veteran's a veteran, okay? You know, a lot of them are just average folks that, you know, join the service and get hurt or whatever, you know, they get injured and, a lot of them are just, you know, regular people. And, uh, you know, this computer stuff and all this electronic stuff and all this claim stuff, It's that's a different language to them. It's like learning Spanish all, you know, from scratch. And, you know, they need good, good help in order to get a claim situated and fail through, you know. Of course, other veteran service organizations, they offer help with claims and stuff. But, uh, you know, if you, if you look at the history and you look at, uh, like you can go on a Had a website and you can look at, uh, you know, all these folks has had all these problems with these veteran service officers for years and years. I mean, thirteen thousand people's not going to lie. And uh, you know, you see, you see it every day. And uh, so it's always it, it it pays for the veteran to get a good representation. And that's why you know folks like yourself, and especially John Dorley, you know, he comes aboard and he'll take a he'll take a discombobulated mess of a claim, and you guys are try to put it together, and uh, you know, and, and usually they get something straightened out. You know, get them the veteran's favor. So. You know, we, uh, from a veteran standpoint, we do appreciate what you do, and I want to personally thank both of you for your efforts. You do. I mean, you know, if I, if I wasn't uh, so busy, I'd do it myself. But uh, like I said, I've got so much stuff going on. But I'm glad you guys are there.
2: Yeah, it's complicated. You know, it's just it's just very complicated. You know, John's got a lot of experience. I have a lot of experience, but you know, I'm still learning stuff. You know, the VA, the, the schedule changes and the, the way they do business changes. So you have to kind of you know, take your experience and also grow as you go. I always use that example that there's 65,000 diagnostic codes in civilian medicine, and the VA boils it down to a couple thousand. So that's kind of my job on one side, and then John's job on the other side is to figure out how all those rules and laws apply to the, the medical stuff that I might be able to pick up that you know that the veteran has from service. So it's you know it's your teamwork. You need people experienced in the service officer side, and you doctor knows what's going on with the medical side, and you need a patient that can try and put together lay statements to help you. So it's you know, it's a trifecta kind of thing teamwork to to get it and that's that's what the VA doesn't do. The VA doesn't have the time to pick up the phone and talk to to the to the veteran. They don't have the time to pick up the phone and talk to the doctor or talk to the service the service officer might need help from a supervisor and doesn't have time for that. So, you know, that's they just kind of do like you say, the top pages and cherry pick the cases the you know, the low percentages and then hope the veteran's satisfied with that. That's basically what happens.
1: A big change I've noticed in the VA in the last 10 years is uh, 10 years ago, you'd mm-hmm. go see your doctor at the VA, and he would sit down, and he would talk to you and, and, and examine you, and he would either use a tape recorder or something like that in order to mm-hmm. record the information, and he would have that transcribed in the computer from a transcription you know, s- situation. And now the VA has gotten away from that. The doctor is spending more time in front of the computer than looking at the patient. Have you seen that?
2: Have you heard of that argument? Yeah, Dr. Bash, yeah, it's, um, you know, this whole idea of touching the patient. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you see the patient, like I, the example I gave with the judge, I said, you know, judge, you can feel this guy's knee if you want, you know. And So you feel, and you smell, and you see the patient. And so there's a lot that you pick up from those senses. And you, you can pick up how sick the patient is, too, just by kind of looking at him and sensing him as a doctor over time. So what's happening, you know, there's, like back to the DBQs, you know, several pages, and the doc's got his nose in the computer, and check, 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 and, you know, so there's no trust between the doctor and the patient, and there's no eye contact, and so you know, you feel disconnected, and so I went to medical appointment myself just last week, and the doc walked in with his laptop, you know, because they have to in order to meet the requirements for, um, for payments, they have to have documentation, and they have to do it real time, and so it's just a you know it's just a you know, it's a problem and um, it's like the old elephant joke you know where you you feel the trunk you think it's a tree and you feel the side and you feel, think it's a wall so if you don't use all your senses and put the whole package together with the with the patient you're going to miss, miss diagnosis, and you're going to miss treatment opportunities you're going to miss you know the, all the rating stuff because it all hinges on the diagnosis and the treatment pathways so it's, uh it's complicated I think that you know, one way to fix that is to try and increase the appointment time. So, like when I teach medical students, I tell them, you know, if you have a complicated patient, you know, put put a couple appointments together, or have them come back at the end of the day, or see them in the morning, or, you know, hit them, see them on the weekend. You know, in a hospital, you can go to the hospital room and visit them on the off hours. So you have some time. You can work with a patient, which is not, you know, scheduled by some um, central scheduling place that, you, that limits you in your ability to see a patient. So if you have if you have like a spinal cord patient, you know, the VA used to schedule like two hours back in the day to see those patients because it takes, you know, it takes 15, 20 minutes to get their clothes off, takes them 10 minutes kind of table, and, you know, you have to do an exam and you reverse all that stuff and come in a wheelchair without having them fall. And there's a lot of patients out there that have a lot of disabilities that have the same kind of problems. So, you know, those 10 minute appointments, 15 minute appointments don't really get you past the front page either on the chart. Do you still do some work with the uh, PVA, Doctor Bash? Um, yeah, I do. Like, what I do is a occasionally um, a like a, a case that i told you about had several PVA records in it, and so they'll um, like service officers will call me up once in a while. This you know, there's a whole team of service officers out there, and they'll call me up, and we got a case, you know, eleven fifty one case in San Diego, or we've got some kind of a C U case here and there somewhere, and and I just uh, I just spoke with the wounded warriors. Today and they think they might want to start having me do some cases for them. So, you know, I just do. I don't really care who I work for. Or who I, I just help patients, wherever, you know, whatever they think there's a need for it. John Drolli has a case, or you know, somebody calls me on the phone, or some lawyer has a case that's doing you know came, uh, claims or Vietnam veterans or American Legion or DAV or any of those guys can you know call me. <coughs>
1: mean you you know, you're not basically you know, you're not you're not relegated to just doing veterans' claims too so you do social security stuff too, don't you? On yeah, I do on social security
2: yeah, I do you know, do whatever. You know most of the veterans seems like now most of the guys have some social security aspects to it because a lot of them are older, you know, so um I do that too. It um and I've gone to social security hearings too, so you know, I can do whatever whatever um whatever aspects of uh of the case and you know. The Social Security cases and the VA cases kind of hinge on each other a little bit. Like, like the case I was just talking about, there was a really nice Social Security workup where the patients seen doctors, and they did a really, really good summary. And the VA, in their haste to do those cases, the decisions, like I mentioned, in, you know, one week, they didn't they failed to get the Social Security records, and those Social Security records were really were pivotal because they listed all the different aspects of things and how he couldn't work and so on and so forth. With his medical, that the VA didn't do, so that would have made their job a lot easier if they'd gotten that, so... You know, those two organizations work back and forth and kind of dovetail in some ways. and They're not dependent on each other. They can make independent decisions, but there is some influence. John Droy could probably talk about that a little bit too. Yeah, I, I think that
0: uh, in general, certainly working as, as a VSO for, for as long as I have and, and working as a POA, that uh, cohesiveness we had in, in working with the different organizations. Um developing that network, especially in Minnesota, greatly benefited not only me to do my job, but, but allowed me to help the veterans so and widows, um, and that would involve the, the National Service Officers, uh, my peers, the County Veteran Service Officers,
2: the VA Medical
0: Center, the Department of Veterans Affairs, the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs. I mean, is there are enough good <coughs> There were enough employees that 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 had a passion and a knowledge and, and know-how with respect to the disability claims that we had that network. So it, it 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 worked out much more than it didn't work out. That's for sure. So I would agree.
2: Uh, one, one word, one word of caution. Even if you're using a veteran service organization, um, you know, a large organization doesn't mean that they're that their vet, veteran service officers are are that skilled. You know, so. Um, I used to do a lot of work with the PVA. We we had training um, maybe biannually and and maybe even quarterly for some of the new guys. So I did some education there, but it kind of depends on what service officer you get because some of those guys are just pretty new and it's complicated stuff. You you really need somebody with a lot of years' experience to to see all the different aspects of the case.
0: Yeah, I I would agree. I I, I think it's just like any uh, any profession out there. You've got uh, good ones, bad ones. Uh, yeah, I I like to think that I was a good one, but but on the other hand, uh, uh, any anybody out there listening that that has an advocate or a VSO, um, you know, ask questions, uh, do your research. You're your best advocate. Uh, go online. Uh, check out blogs if you need to, check out case history on your claims. And, and if your VSO is not addressing those types of issues, it's, a good VSO will always take questions from veterans. I, I've never had such a, a large ego that I wouldn't take direction or at least listen to a veteran that wants to try to inform you of something. And as and VSOs, we're always learning. I don't, I don't care how many years a VSO has. There's always something to learn, and, and occasionally you pick up something from veterans and widows, and and so, uh, yeah, Doctor Bash, that's important. You want to choose your advocate wisely. You want to do your research, uh, and 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 go from there.
4: Hey, can I get in there for a minute, This is Stretch? Hey, Stretch. Hey, Hi, Doctor Bash. Hi, Dorley. I'm Dr. Good. Hi, Hi. Oh, hey, you know what? Most of these VSOs are on the job training anyway. They they hit a win and they said, hey, I did something right. Well, that's the way that goes. I'm in here a little bit late. But I've got a a unique situation with myself. Dr. Bash already knows about it. I've got all the elements I need for several good things and uh, I've just gotten so sick that I can't put anything together. So, I've finally gotten to the point to where I'm uh, trying to get out of this, and I'm starting to work on something that has to do with communications between Dr. Bash and John Dorley, and it has to do with communications, and I'll talk to you about it later, but i got to get the stuff I need uh, so that we can find a way to make things work better.
0: Yep, I agree. What do you Can think about that, Doctor Bash?
2: Um, it's all good to me. Whatever works to help make veteran case process better, I'm open.
4: Well, it'll make it easier for communications. Basically, I'm 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 just an engineer, and I uh, I learn things, and that's my area of expertise. When it comes to medical stuff, I don't have the slightest idea what's going on. So,
2: right.
4: but I know how to put things together in the communications way.
2: Yeah, no, that's good. All that is, is useful. And your comment about on-the-job training is exactly right too. That's what that's what I was talking about. You know, I, even even my cases. You know, I've been doing it for you nearly know, two decades. But you know, if I look at my first opinions, you know, ten years ago versus my opinions now, my opinions now have a different have a different flavor to them. So, you know, it's a, it's experience oh, yeah. helps. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah I, was you. Just, I was just thinking that, Doctor Bash. I... As I had mentioned, I, I worked a number of years for the government. And I, I started in 1992, and uh, near the end of my career, with, with, as, a, as a senior level, I, I looked at some of my case notes, case preparation from that first one or two years, and, and I can honestly say I didn't cost a veteran anything, but I certainly approached it in a way that I I, I almost shudder to look at it, and and that's going to happen. I mean, we all we all cut our teeth and. And uh, that's that's just the way it is. So, and, and I definitely was learning on the run. OJT, there was no school or anything like that when I started. It was pretty much, here's your manuals, take a crack at it, you know, and you just basically learn as you go. Well,
2: the other thing, the other thing that doesn't help me is back in the day, you know, years ago, the VA didn't really have very good statement of cases, and they didn't have all the veteran court rulings that would clean up the system. So they really hid you know, behind the doors a lot of the information that we needed to help us you know, try and do the cases in a way that was most beneficial to the patient, which is what it, the way it's supposed to be set up. So now we have a little bit more transparency, so we're able to be a little bit better at what we do, I think, also.
1: Yeah, yeah. the old statement back then, not well-grounded.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs>
4: that right. was
1: the ultimate dagger in the back of the veteran back then. Yeah, yeah that's course, it. I agree yeah. the v c a came out two thousand guys and helped out a little bit you know, in to do to assist so but mm-hmm. they're still they have a long way to go, and uh yeah. you know you can see it every day i mean uh this those are you know they're they're coming along, but they're training likes so I don't think they're training as much as it is as their uh, uh the folks that they hire or the folks that they get to do this, you know it's kind of a volunteer basis in a lot of areas, and they do a better job screening the people and then uh Personally, if I was in charge of it, I'd make everybody have engineering degrees and quality assurance backgrounds. <laughs> then, I'd, then I'd go from there.
2: <laughs> yeah, are you I, talking about the I VSOs really... or the VA Raiders? Either one, right? Both.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I I gotta defend you know some of the v, I, I worked with a lot of the uh, VSOs and 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 there weren't some very good. I mean, there were some that weren't very good, that's for sure. But then there are some that are top notch. But I think, unfortunately. The, the, the training is there. I know the DAV, they, they really take it seriously, but I, I think a lot of times, uh, VSOs are overwhelmed. And and I know when I worked as a VSO, I was booking clients out three weeks, and I was working 10-hour days, and, and I ultimately just burned out. Um, and I think that's what's happening a lot. Um, organizations like the DAV, VFW, American Legion, I think the majority of them are, are very knowledgeable and well-meaning, but um, unfortunately it's just my opinion I, I think they get overworked um, and, and they don't have the time to, to give a lot of the cases the TLC that they need and that's just my opinion now um, if there's any VSOs listening they may think I'm crazy to say that I don't know that's just my opinion on what I've seen because I lived it and I've seen it and, and now that I'm independent I'm a POA that's independent um, it, it, it's a lot lot uh, better for me to help veterans that's for sure
2: Dr. Bash, yeah, my experience is that most of those guys have their heart in the right spot. You know, it just goes back to that that idea of experience. So you get into these issues, you know, those issues of SMC and those issues of CUE and those issues of retroactive rewards and 100 percent claims, and you know, stuff gets pretty complicated pretty quickly. And um, so the raiders and uh, those younger VSOs have you know kind of over their head. And so it, in Oftentimes in medicine the same thing happens. If you don't know if you don't know what you're looking for, you're not gonna see it. So you can go right by a tumor or right by some deadly diagnosis and think you're doing a great job with customer service with patients and <laughs> the patients have dying on you because you just totally missed the the critical element. And the same thing with the rating part, you know, there's critical elements in there that people can just walk right by and not even recognize them and I see, oh, I got the guy, you know, he got fifty percent for his feet and they missed, you know, his spine or his brain tumor or brain something else. So yeah, so experience it helps.
1: Yeah, Dr. Bass, you've got an advantage over a lot of docs too. You know, you've or you know, you I mean, you're a radiologist by trade and uh you know you specialized out in neuroradiology, which is a higher echelon of radiology, so, you know, you 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 can actually read and see films and you can make your own opinion quicker than, you know, say somebody that didn't see X rays very, you know, well
2: yeah, so the are, yeah, the films. Yeah, V used to the v used to ask like, why, you know, why is a radiologist doing this? And it's actually perfect for radiologists because our our job is diagnosis. You know, we go through like I can remember back in the old days I was looking at chest X-rays and I had a patient that had you know a chest X-ray folder that had about a hundred chest X-rays in it, which is like equivalent to that four thousand paper record I was talking about. And I took all those X-rays and put them up on the view box over time and looked at them, and I could see changes historically like you do with the VA record. And so that's what we do as radiologists. We do all that historical forensic work to look at diagnosis and see if the chest x-ray is getting better or worse. And that's what the VA looks at with the ratings. They look at the rating schedule and see if the patient's medical exam is getting better or worse or his imaging is getting better or worse. So radiologists radiologist is, like, perfectly skilled for this. It's just the way we're trained, and we're trained in multi-system, you know, orthopedics and OB-GYN. We rotate around and do all those different things. So... And then, um, and then, right, so then sometimes I can also reread the film. So if we order something and it's not read right, then I can dig in and make a diagnosis off the films that might be missed or even historically if the veteran has records. You know, a lot of these guys, I tell them to put their x-rays under their bed, but they might have x-ray film that's 20 or 30 years old, and, and then they can look at that. One one word of caution about this new stuff, like this new, a lot of the new imaging now, they're putting them on disk, and some of those disks are, are sort of, um, demagnetizing pretty quickly, like even, you know, five years. So those old x-rays, you know, I have x-rays in my basement that are 50, 60 years old. So those, you know, I think it's a good idea to back back those disks up, maybe get a couple of them so if you don't lose the old uh, imaging because it can make a big difference in your medical care and also in your uh, reading. Yeah. yeah,
1: most. I guess, most VAs, I guess all VAs now are digital, aren't they? Eh?
2: Oh yeah, most of the stuff I haven't seen I still see a little bit of film, but nothing really new. most of it comes by on disc
1: yeah I mean I know all about that it's been a part of my life for the past twenty six years so <laughs> but the reason I touched baseball to go on the one, uh, qualifications uh, you said that uh, they asked what a radiologist was doing that uh, <coughs> for- <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> for folks that uh don't understand the education there. Once you go to medical school and do your residency, you know you have your MD degree, and a lot of these guys will branch out into cardiology and thoracic surgery and things like that. And Dr. Bash chose to be a radiologist. Is that correct, Dr. Bash?
2: Yeah, that's right. You know, I was—I had my injury in medical school, so once I was injured, then I kind of limited some of my options. They said I could be—you know—my professors were saying we well, can go into psychiatry, I don't want to do that. You can go into rehab medicine and i didn't really want to do that and then they said you go radiology so i was able to to do that um you know the real physical things so i wanted to be a surgeon before i got hurt so you know peak surgery standing in the oar and stuff was not really much of an option 30 years ago maybe now with some of the devices we have but back then it was not really you know very accepted
1: okay I just meaning to continue on to the last part of the show here folks uh Dr. Bash, uh, explain to us the difference between an opinion from a certified, licensed, professional physician that's been in medical school and uh, has branched out and done his own thing versus a, uh, an opinion from a uh, a nurse practitioner or a nurse. What's the difference in uh, in, uh, in 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 that? Yeah,
2: yeah, it goes, yeah, you know, it goes to depth of knowledge. So. You know, those uh, those uh, non-physicians, they have physician extenders, and the problem we have is that we have a shortage of about 100,000 doctors in America, so we're trying to balance the care with non-physicians. So you kind of get what you pay for. It. You know, in medicine, like that case I told you about, that guy's basically dying because he wasn't being cared for by, you know, by an expert. So, you know, a nurse practitioner might do, you know, they might do, some college or a nurse went to college and they might do you know, eight semesters of nurse practitioner school or something like that. And I trained some of those guys when I was working in Arizona and you know, they don't really know much and they learn some under the supervision of a doctor but they don't really have that residency and in in advanced training afterwards. And so I was talking to a brand new one that just graduated and the lady said I can't wait to go out and open my own little shop up because I'm not supervised, I can do my own thing. And that's like you know, it's like the kiss of death because they don't really have good training and they're not supervised. So in my mind, I think there's a way to use those people. I think maybe it might be that the doc sees every other visit or some, something like that so you can get a look at the patient in between because if they perpetually see the same person and they have a large blind spot, they're going to miss things. So, um, it's kind of
1: like, like rotations. You can do rotations in residency, like you do the rotation, and I guess you do emergency room rotations and different things.
2: Yeah, they mo- yeah they move around. Yeah, they move around and they work on doctors, but they just don't have the same rigorous, you know, admission criteria. That, you know, the medical school training is, the is not the same. And they're, but the bigger the bigger part of that is their, is their after training, and it's that is that supervision part where they're not really supervised. And so, you know, they're going to miss a lot of stuff and not see it. And the doctor might pick up. You know, he might pick up 10% every time he sees a patient over, over and above what they do or more, but that 10% could be the fatal tumor or it could be the part of the rating that's important or you know, the next step. So um, unsupervised this unsupervised is not a not a good thing. So just to give you an example, like when I did my residency training, we talked about I did residency for four years and I did neuro training for another three years. And so in that time period, I may have looked at just the estimate, it might be 70,000 x-rays. You know, in all different things—ankles, hips, heart, brain, all that stuff—and so every one of those, every one of those X-rays was gone over with an attending, with me at the view box looking at and discussing the case, and then every one of my reports was also reviewed by an attending for the whole, the whole seven-year period. So, you know, my level of training is—you know—it's been supervised the whole way through, whereas a nurse practitioner might pop out and do one-year, one-year rotations in the ER for a month and this that and the other thing, and then be done out on their own just in a clinic, you know. Slinging, sling the uh, prescription pad. So, did you your residency? Read- What's that?
1: What did you do your residency at? Uh,
2: GW, and then I trained a lot at the DCVA. As part of that,
1: Washington is that the level one trauma
2: center? Um, oh uh, yeah, I think GW was or, or President Reagan when he got shot. So it's, yeah, it's a major, it was a major trauma yeah, place. That. <laughs> okay,
1: that's what uh, I, I, I did saw believe- one of them TV. Shows. Yeah. TV shows trauma life in the ER. They had one of them. They had GW on there one time. And guys, that's a that's a sweatshop.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's a serious yeah it's serious stuff. You know, like like House of God. There was gurneys in the hallway, and you know the whole deal. I did did some big trauma training in Baltimore too. I worked at Shock Trauma for a year up there when I did part of my fellowship. You did so.
1: Yeah, it was they got a whole there. series on it. Yeah.
2: Yeah, Shock Trauma wow. model. This is the model care for America for you know when it first started out the helicopter. Yeah, the helicopter landing pad on the roof and the whole nine yards. So, you know, I've got oh, a lot of a lot of backyard, you know, a lot of background and stuff. Yeah, apparently so they've
1: got bit. their own they got their state police force five helicopters, don't they, and brings patients in?
2: Yeah, it's pretty <clears> funny <throat> they pretty hop cool. off the the uh the, the medics hop off the off the helicopter and they got pistols strapped on the side.
1: <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah. But guess this the reason we do these shows is to educate the veteran. And I do want to say one thing when it involves getting, getting an i m d from Dr. Bash or from, you know, any other doctor, you know, that does his IMEs. I mean, it's not, uh, you know, I, I recommend Dr. Bash just because I know him personally and that uh, I've seen his work. But remember something. My grandfather told me once, to, and he's still alive, bless his heart, you get what you pay for in life. And to this day... That reigns true on everything almost that I've ever done in my lifetime. So just remember that word of advice.
0: I this is John Dorley. I yeah, I, I agree with that. Um yeah. you want if you want free VSL service out there, it's free. Nine times out of ten, that's what you're gonna get. And I don't have to fill in the rest, you know what I'm talking about. And I think when it comes to doctor care, for lack of a better term. Uh, you pay for what you get. If you want to go to the Minute Clinic and, and get a diagnosis so you can get some prescriptions, some, then do that. But if you really want to get to the heart of a matter, um, you can somehow scurry up the funds. You want to see a specialist. You want to see a doctor. bash, You want to see someone on that level. And that all translates to independent medical opinions. It all translates to senior-level veteran service officers who know how to navigate their way through the VA claims process. Well, I'm not going to promise you anything, but I can guarantee you there isn't a claim that I haven't seen that I can't detangle. There isn't a claim out there that I haven't seen that I can't get justice when all is said and done. We may not win it, but I can guarantee you if we don't win it, it's going to be justified. So
1: That's, that's a how fact. I that's a fact. So if you guys get a denial letter in your claim and you're sitting there scratching your head of what to do, I will pick up the phone and give Mr. Dorley a call. And Mr. Dorley will put his phone number on here shortly before we close the show. And uh, you can reach Dr. Bash at uh, drbash at doctor.com. Is that right,
2: Dr. Bash? Yep, that's my, uh, that's my email. I want to put a plug in for the VA, you know, just... Um just to put it in perspective, the VA is doing 1,100 surgeries a day and 250,000 clinic visits. You know, so like what John Droy was saying, you know, if you're in a clinic and you have complicated—this is medicine—but if you're in a clinic and you have complicated disease, you, you know, the veteran has a chance to to not have that nurse practitioner or that physician assistant. They can ask for a physician. You know, the VA has 250,000 clinic visits. They can they can give you a doctor. And then like John says that all the medical care can translate all to the to the rating process. And, First we'll get them healthy and then, then we we'll get the rating right.
1: Yeah, take care of yourself first. That's a that's a good point, Dr. Bash. You need to take care of yourself, take care of number one first. Don't kill yourself, work on a VA claim. Yeah. There won't be a
0: there won't be a VA claim if you're dead. Oh. That's
1: right. Unless you've got a substitution paperwork already filed. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Thank you. Exactly. if you're married. <laughs> yeah, you're married.
1: <laughs> no, but uh yeah, we'd like to say, we do shows like these to, you know, educate the masses on what, you know, next one needs to be done. Uh, the VA's not out there putting the information out to help veterans do their claims. Uh, I guess they're too busy. I want to do bring a new story up today that came out. Uh, there is a uh, report of a regional office that uh, was offering, I guess they work in groups and teams, and they were offering, uh, they were making them race each other and getting these claims out. And just read the report today, John. All right. They were they were giving them bonuses, and I think the winning team got fifteen grand to divide between them. And, and the, if they, I guess they had weekly luncheons and weekly meals and stuff like that to the team that uh, did the most claims.
0: So. Well, you wonder how accurate the claims were, and and what the what the incentive was to just deny, deny, deny. Uh, yeah, that's I mean, if it's a numbers game, that's not too hard to do. But, but I assume they're going to be held accountable through uh, their own supervisors and possible star reviews. So they got to get those things right. But um, that's interesting.
2: Let's talk so, about that for a second. The idea of denial versus approval. Is it is it harder to deny? Is it harder to approve a case than deny it? As far as the justification goes, John, from your side.
0: I think it's easier to approve, especially when you employ the concepts of reasonable doubt as likely as not those types of things you can you can really stretch that as an adjudicator, i think uh but I think it's a lot harder to deny, especially if you're up against uh an i m o like yours dr bash uh I hold their feet to the fire if they don't adequately address your i m o and if they don't adequately poke holes in it, which they rarely can do um it's very hard to deny
1: yeah so those guys
2: faction. those guys that are doing that so the guys that are doing that race that race stuff they might um they might um they might uh, they might approve they might they might approve a 10% or a small percentage and get the case off the desk and run it through quickly and not really look at the at the de- depth of it That would be the way they would do it faster
1: I so they're yeah, just trying yeah they're
2: just trying,
3: trying to go the process the appeal rate would be extremely high in a situation such as that because uh, you know yourself, as soon as you start hurrying on everything, that's when the error rate uh, climbs through the ceiling. And uh, uh, I wonder how many of those claims uh, were done properly. Uh, Yeah, I
0: I agree, Gerald. But the funny thing is I've seen it work the other way. (laughs) <laughs> I've seen claims work in my favor, but I just have to do a double-take. And I think to myself, I never would have granted it if I was in their <laughs> shoes, but I'm certainly not going to say anything.
3: Well, maybe now they're becoming more liberal. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, I mean, they
0: if they hurry scurry, uh, I've seen them make errors in favor of the veteran. I'm, obviously, I'm not saying a word. So.
1: I'll tell you what hurts, guys, is when you get your denial, And uh, it used to be years ago when I'd get a denial letter, I'd get all upset and blood pressure would go up and have a hard time breathing, and I'd get all mad and be a hard person to live with for a couple weeks. But now if you see a denial, I look at it, and I'm like, okay, let's go. It's time to fight. Let's go, you know. It it energizes a
0: veteran. Well, uh, this is John Dorley. It's getting to be 6 o'clock. I'll uh, just give my, my phone number and email real quick in case any veterans out there, they want to call me, I'll I'll be more than happy to give them a free consultation. My phone number is area code 651-303-3062. That's 651-303-3062. And you can get me by email. It's just as it sounds, benefitsagent at net. That's benefitsagent at net. I'm a good go-between for Dr. Bash, too, so... If you're interested in trying to get a hold of Dr. Bash or you try to get a hold of Dr. Bash and and, and he's very busy, he'll even admit that, uh, I, I have his ear, I think. I like to think so, and, and I'm sure we could work something out.
1: John, do you want to give out your Hatton handle there, too, in case folks want to get through you and PM me on Hadit to help you out?
0: Yeah, I think um, if, if you something. were to uh, scroll through the, uh, the members under, I believe I'm Minnesota, M-I-N-N-Y, S-O-D-A That's N N S-O-D-A You'll find me Just uh, It's it's probably better To call me Or, or email me But uh, If if you want You can try to PM me there too if you guys
2: Dr. Have Bash problems here Just Google Go oh, do, Yeah Dr. Bash is Google Craig Bash And you'll find me On the internet Easy it pops up
0: And if you guys
1: need If you have problems Getting hold of Either one of them Guys shoot me A personal message On had it And I'll, I'll, I'll Help run Some interference For you too so, just whatever it because so we got to get the job done. It's a big job. A lot of veterans out there that are in limbo because of this uh, greatly reduced VA claim system.
2: Yeah, it has a big, you know, it has a big impact on uh, back you know, back to care again. You know, if a if a guy's rated 100%, he has a little higher priority in the hospital, and I think the philosophy and the and the care is a little bit better in some ways. You know, it's on his rating and. And also, if the diagnosis is wrong, they're treating you for the wrong thing, which happens
3: occasionally, yeah, too.
2: So all this stuff can just make a big impact on patients' well-being.
1: Uh, well, Dr. Bash and John, I do want to thank you for coming on. Uh, we'll have you on again next month on the regular Hattie Show, to any updates or whatever. I can't wait till we get that one decision back. So, uh, yep. But uh, I do want to thank you and John for coming on the show. Uh, you're a wealth of information, and we do appreciate what you do uh hope folks listen to understand uh you know a little better understanding of why it's important to get an independent medical opinion and re- evaluation gerald thank you for coming on i uh,
3: glad thank- to be here
1: thank you for stretch for coming on there stretch i appreciate you buddy Stretch is a super technician he does a really good job on some of these setups so uh, we're glad he's around and we're glad he's feeling better but uh with that guys uh Everybody have a good day, and thanks for listening. This will be Jay Besser. We'll be signing off for now.
0: Thanks. Okay, thanks, guys. Bye-bye.
3: Bye. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
4: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom?